Welcome to the Art Song Podcast. My name is Daniela Theresia, and I'm a mezzo-soprano, and I'm joined by my friend and pianist Suzanne Yeo for an episode of our Eternal Feminine series. This set of podcasts was inspired by my concert series called The Eternal Feminine, which expresses the feminine perspective through women's words and music. In the past, we've explored themes like love, relationships, motherhood, loss, and one's purpose in life. We've done this by performing pieces either based on female characters or pieces with a female composer or poet. For the Eternal Feminine podcast series, we've decided to focus on female composers and poets in order to bring these women into a modern context. Some of these women are not very well known, and we wanted to recognize them for their works, as well as bringing the art song genre to a larger audience. Today we'll be discussing the piece Sehnsucht nach Italien by Fanny Hensel. Fanny Hensel is perhaps one of the more well-known composers that we are featuring, although until recently her life and work had been overshadowed by her composer brother Felix Mendelssohn and their relationship. And we just want to say that we've made a conscious decision to refer to her as Fanny Hensel, not Fanny Mendelssohn Hensel, in an effort to recognize this amazing woman in her own right, and not by association with her brother. Um, especially since she eventually published under the name Hensel when she stopped publishing under her brother's name. Now, Fanny Hensel was born in Hamburg in 1805, and she died in Berlin in 1847. And it's a bit of an understatement to say that both of her parents, Abraham and Leah Mendelssohn, came from prominent and influential German-Jewish families. Both parents were members of the famous Zing Akademie of Berlin, and Leah was also an accomplished pianist and had studied with Johann Philipp Kirnberger, who in turn had studied with Johann Sebastian Bach. Fanny was the oldest of four children, and their parents wanted only the best for them in terms of education, which included an excellent musical education. And what's interesting is that Abraham Mendelssohn both encouraged and discouraged Fanny's musical ambitions. So on the one hand, he wanted his, his two daughters to be as educated and cultured as possible, which included the musical training. Um, but on the other hand, he felt that women's main calling in life was in the home as wives and mothers. Which, of course, was pretty standard thinking at the time. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think that Abraham also, you know, he knew very well society's ideas of how members of the upper class should behave. And he was also very aware... Um, of kind of the anti-Semitic tendencies of that time. You know, society didn't always look well upon uh, Jewish people, particularly affluent Jewish people. And in fact, Abraham and Leah tried to dissociate themselves from their Jewish heritage, and they had their children baptized um, in the, the New Berlin Church in 1816. And they themselves secretly converted to Protestantism later on. Right. That I mean, that that's also the reason for the name change from Mendelssohn to Mendelssohn 
Bartholdi, isn't it? So it was actually Leia's brother, Jakob, who persuaded Abraham to take the name Bartholdi from a property that he, Jakob, owned. So Abraham added Bartholdi to his name in an attempt to distance himself from his father's name. Which actually wasn't that popular a decision with the kids because uh, Felix Mendelssohn actually rarely used the double-barreled surname. And, and Fanny doesn't seem to have liked it much either, going by her comments in her letters to her brother. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, well, they tried. <laughs> <laughs> but to uh, to get back to Abraham's views on um, professional women musicians, I think that maybe part of his insistence on upholding society's standards and values was a way of protecting himself and his family from kind of drawing any kind of social disapproval or anything that would make them stand out for, you know, for their otherness. So it would have been especially important for Fanny to be extremely respectable, which meant, you know, not doing things that might be considered uh, louche. <laughs> right, like, like you know, be, being a professional musician. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> um, but despite that, you know, Abraham and Leah ensured the best musical um, education possible for their children. So Fanny received instruction in piano and theory and composition, and she, she in turn joined the Zing Academy as well. And her other less famous siblings, Rebecca and Paul, were also musical. So eventually, the Mendelssohn parents began to host these musical salons in their home to showcase their children's talents. Right, and and, and since the Mendelssohns were, were friends with many of the prominent musicians, writers, and thinkers of the day, I mean, they would have people like Jakob Grimm, Eta Hofmann, Heinrich Heine, Karl Maria von Weber, Ludwig Spohr, and Karl Friedrich Zelter, um, you know, visiting their house on a regular basis. It was quite the guest list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to say the least. Um, and just as a side note, so Karl Friedrich Zelter was actually the director at the Zing Academy, and he taught composition to both Fanny and Felix. And he was also a good friend of the poet Goethe. And it was through him that the young Mendelssohn uh, children met Goethe, who by then was in his 70s. And Goethe was extremely impressed by Fanny's musical abilities. Right. I mean, he, he actually referred to her as being just as talented as his brother, which was remarkable mm -hmm. because he was also known to have said at one point that he didn't think women's creative abilities were any match to those of men. So, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, you can see it wasn't just Abraham Mendelssohn who had a kind of narrow view of what women should or could do in those days. For sure. So even though Fanny showed a lot of promise musically, you know, early on, her father made it very clear to her that music was to be a hobby for her, not a profession. And Felix also shared this view. And because of he had a very close relationship with Fanny. Um, so this attitude about professional women was something that she struggled with all her life. And I think that it also caused her to be kind of almost apathetic towards her own talent. You know, she wrote probably close to 500 compositions in her very short life, um, around 300 of which are leader. And yet she didn't publish anything until quite late in life. And even then, she did so very hesitantly, and mostly because her husband and her mother Leia were encouraging her to publish. Right. I, I mean, technically, I guess she did publish some stuff before then, but, but just not under her own name, uh, because Felix actually published some of her stuff under his own name. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe you want to share the, uh, the Queen Victoria story. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so, so the, the story is that Mendelssohn, who was living and working in England at the time, was at Buckingham Palace 
um, and 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 Queen Victoria announced that she would like to perform her favorite piece by him. But then it turned out to be this piece that Fanny had composed, which was published under his name. Hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, I mean, to his credit, Felix would always say, "Oh, actually." You know, the truth is my sister wrote this piece. Right. So after he said that to the queen, he said, but won't you, you know, sing one of my own to me so I can hear one of my own pieces? <laughs> and, and you know, it, it, that wasn't, that certainly wasn't the only occasion that, that people fell in love with Fanny's compositions. There's this nice quote from, from John Thompson, a composer and critic for, for an English music journal called the Harmonicon. And, and he, had re- he had met Felix in Edinburgh and so he, he, he went to Berlin to visit the Mendelssohns. Um, and he had very high praise for Fanny, the harmonicon. Um, he, and, and this is a qu- quote from him. I, I see so many ladies without one atom of genius coming forward to the public with their musical crudities. And because these are printed, holding up their heads as if they were finished musicians. And then speaking of Fanny, he said, she is no superficial musician. She has studied the signs deeply and writes with the freedom of a master. Her songs are distinguished by tenderness, warmth, and originality. Some which I heard were exquisite. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Hensel finally did publish one of her pieces under her own name, it was met with similar praise, um, even from her brother, you know, when he got over himself. <laughs> um, so the piece we're discussing today, Sehnsucht nach Italien, is based on a poem by Goethe, whom, as we mentioned before, admired Fanny Hensel's musical talent early on. And actually, Goethe even wrote a poem dedicated to her. And although she never set that one to music, um, a lot of her songs are actually set to his poetry. So the poem is spoken by a character named Mignon. And I think Suzanne's going to fill us a bit more in about the mystery of Mignon. (laughs) Yes. So Mignon is one of these fictional characters that, that for some reason just capture the imagination of the public at large uh, people were just fascinated by her and 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 she shows up originally in, in Goethe's novel Wilhelm Meister's Lehrjahre or, or Wilhelm Meister's apprenticeship and she's a wayfish young girl whom Wilhelm rescues from an abusive situation in a troop of acrobats and her strange behavior both puzzles and intrigues him we find out in the course of the novel that she is from Italy and that a tragic past goes all the way back to her origins. Um, it, it turns out that her parents were brother and sister, but did not realize it until after she was conceived. Um, her mother's sent to a convent. She's brought up by her uncles. And at that point, it's still not so bad. But then she gets kidnapped, which is how she ends up with this bad situation with the acrobats. Um, eventually the mother goes mad and dies and and as for her father through a bizarre coincidence it turns out that the mad harper who's always hanging around is her father although neither of them know it and 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 for her part she develops this ambiguous crush on Wilhelm who becomes a sort of father figure to her but she eventually dies Mm -hmm. in the course of the novel she sings four songs all of which have been set extensively by multiple composers and it's not just the german speaking ones like schubert schumann and wolf you know and so i mean you would sort of expect that but 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 also other composers who would set translations of the poems into their native languages um you know like i mean famously of course you've got tchaikovsky's none but the lonely heart as we know it uh, or Ambroise Thomas in his opera Mignon, 
um, you know, who has gone to the pays, which is really against with us land. Um, everybody knew who Mignon was. And, and, and anyhow, th- this particular setting by Fanny Hensel that we're featuring today is titled Sehnsucht nach Italien, or, or Longing for Italy, which is a common alternate title used in settings of this poem. It's the first of Mignon's four songs and is probably better known by its opening line. Kennst du das Land, wo die Zitronen blühen? Or do you know the land where the lemon trees bloom? It's essentially a song expressing Mignon's wish to go back to Italy with Wilhelm, whom she addresses in each verse uh, as her beloved, then as her protector, and finally as her father, which of course reflects the ambiguity of her affection for him. Um, Hensel sets only the first verse, where Mignon talks about aspects of nature in Italy. It's where you get the lemon trees, the orange trees, the soft winds, the myrtle and laurel trees. Uh, and, and then, of course, right at the end, she sort of let slip that she would kind of like to go there with Wilhelm. <laughs> <laughs> what this means is we don't get the verses about the house that she remembers growing up in and the perilous road that leads there. So it comes across more, almost more as a love song, which in a way, I guess it kind of is. Um, you, you don't get the darker overtones of the later verses that hint at past trauma. So, so out of context, it just sounds like she's saying she would like to travel with her beloved Wilhelm to this place from a past that she longs for. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that whole line in the third verse that it talks about these caves where the dragons live. And <laughs> right. I've, I mean, I've always loved to sing that in other settings of the Mignon poem. But yeah, but she's, you know, also in the Connetu le pays, it's, it's also just two verses and he changes, he changes the, the text drastically. So Oh, yes, yeah, some some of the settings change it quite a bit. Um, and, and, and I mean, you know, Berg, the young Alban Berg also has a setting of, of, of this this poem. And he also uses just the first verse. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, it, it, it makes sense, you know, in, in its own way, in a standalone setting, because because the latter two verses are sort of, they're a bit more specific to the plot of the novel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if it's a standalone, I mean, I can kind of see using just one verse. Um, on the other hand, it's also hard not to wonder if maybe this choice is also at least partly influenced by Fanny's own longing to travel to Italy. Because mm-hmm. she always wanted to do that, but but wasn't able to make the trip till 1839. Um, so, you know, she was sort of in her late 30s. And that would have been nearly a decade after she composed this song. And, and so in that sense, perhaps the Sehnsucht nach Italien might, might also have a sort of personal and more literal aspect to it. Um, maybe. <laughs> but, but, but to get back to the poem, I mean, even though it's just this one verse, it's very sensitively said. It starts out, you know, of course, with this description of nature. It's a bit declamatory. And then it grows lyrical as she gets into her memories of this beautiful landscape, but which gets increasingly excited as she starts to talk about how she would like Wilhelm to take her there, which of course culminates in her referring to him as Geliebter or, or Beloved. Now, while Wilhelm is fond of Mignon, I mean, she's not his girlfriend. It was very far from it. I mean, th- there's a certain ambiguity, but, but no, she's definitely not his girlfriend. And, and, and she's also way too young for one thing. What that means is this moment is her making some kind of indirect declaration of love to her crush object. 
um, with, with all the acceleration and, and perhaps also anxiety that something like that would entail. And so, you know, fittingly, there's a certain breathlessness to this bit as she works up to this indirect declaration before it settles more, you know, in the second iteration of to go there with you, my beloved, or dahin mit dir, or mein geliebter Zin, uh, which makes sense. I mean, now the big declaration is out of the way, the anxiety is gone, and only a certain tenderness remains. But it, it's very sensitive, psychologically, mm-hmm. you know, very astute writing, I think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of in the same way as um, Viardot's piece that we featured is, is kind of short and sweet, like, this piece is also kind of short and sweet. It's, but it's, it's very complete, and you don't miss the other verses. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's very well composed. So I think, without further ado, we'll play you our recording of um, Fanny Hensel's Sehnsucht nach Italien. And again, this is one of our um, recorded in isolation recordings. So Suzanne and I discussed this beforehand, and then um, basically I sang along to the track that she recorded. So we hope you enjoy Sehnsucht nach Italien. a beautiful composition and it really seems to me that had she been encouraged the public would have welcomed further publications from Fanny Hensel with open arms. Thankfully many of her works have been published posthumously and can be enjoyed today. If you'd like to learn more about Fanny Hensel please visit our website artsong-podcast.com where you'll find a dedicated page to her under episodes. And this concludes another episode of our Eternal Feminine series here on the Art Song Podcast. I'm Daniela Theresia, and I've been speaking with Suzanne Yeo about Fanny Hensel. So thank you, Suzanne. Always a pleasure. And thank you for listening. We will post a new episode every other Saturday, so if you enjoyed the Art Song podcast, please remember to subscribe and to share with others. Oh.
Sun, sweet evening, we'll go. 